Hello, hello, hello. This is John Sacco, owner of Sierra Company, Sierra Recycling Demolition, Sierra International Machinery. This is Pile of Scrap. <laughs> you like that, don't you? I'm here with Edward Kangeter, president or CEO. CEO. CEO of CAS, Custom Alloy Scrap Sales. Scrap Sales. Edward, thank you for joining us. Um, you got a very unique nickname. You want to talk about it? My nickname? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> well, I like what our buddy Mike Lewis from Warsaw, Indiana calls you. What's that? Special Ed. Special Ed. That's right. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a terminator. Mike Lewis has given you a nickname. That means he loves you. So, yes. I so love, he's, a, he's a great guy. Yeah. Well, from the heartland, a, a guy truly from the heart. You know. We've been doing podcasts, and I, again, I appreciate you coming on and spending time with us. You know, you're, you're a scrap company, but you do some things unique. But, you know, I don't really want to focus on that because scrap, processing, scrap, great. Oh, that's super. But you have an interesting background. And as I was doing my notes before this, you're Gucci to Carhartt. I mean, that's a transition. You came from the fashion industry. And now you're here in the recycling industry. True story. Oh, tell me that. How does that world, how does that collide? Well, it doesn't normally fly, to be honest with you. But uh, I had married into a family that owned a recycling operation and had the opportunity to get into the fashion industry as a young man. And I was traveling the world. My last job, I worked for a multinational uh, based out of Italy and I was running that for the US market launched it and helped a family business uh, go from 70 million euro to over 700 million euro in about five and a half years six years well, that's kind of like the opposite of the scrap business you, scrap business they always say if you want to make a small fortune invest a large fortune sounds right. like you invest 700 million you come out with 70, 70 million in scrap yeah. business it was an incredible education. I, I really got to learn about the world, about people, about brands, about service. And those are all attributes that I was able to bring and apply to CAS. Okay, so that's that's where I want to go with this. So, fashion industry, you know, beautiful people, looking good, image. And you walk in the door and you see this, you know, started out. Tell us about the transformation of day one from... Edward Kangeter arriving into a recycling facility known as a junkyard, maybe scrapyard, to what you brought from the fashion industry and what you've done to change what you saw the day from day one. Well, day one was an interesting day because my father-in-law, who had hired me, and some of you know him, he's a little uh, infamous in the industry, had hired me and I had given a one-year resignation notice to the family I was working for. And I showed up to report to work on the first day of work. And I walked into his office and I said, hey, Chow, how you doing? And he looked at me and he's all, what the fuck are you doing here? And I said, I'm here to start. And he goes, yeah, I've been thinking about it. It's a bad idea. And I'm like, what? Oops. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, it's, it's not a good idea. I don't think we should do this. And I'm like, uh, I gave a one-year notice. I already trained my replacement. A little late, buddy. So, okay, so how did we, how long from that moment you got slugged in the stomach of, and I don't think that's going to work, to child coming around and saying, okay, you're here. 
that was about that was about two years honestly i think what happened is he told me to go find a seat somewhere after we stared each at each other for an uncomfortable no kidding about 20 minutes and he realized i wasn't going to leave and that's part of the fashion industry is a really tough business it's pretty on the outside but it's a very competitive business and i think that that served me well coming into the recycling industry this is a very interesting but very competitive business Okay, let's talk about that, the image again. I want to go back to image. What was your thought, your image of the industry? And then when you get into it, you see the reality of it. And all these years later, you know, I walk into CAST today and I'm seeing an office that doesn't even represent anything as a recycling facility. I mean, this is like walking into an office maybe for Saks or for, you know, somebody, Nordstrom's or something like that. I mean, it's beautiful, but. Tell us about this, your, your, your thoughts and how you're changing. So I think my initial thoughts on the industry was it looked very Sanford and Son. It was an ugly business, but I didn't understand it. As I learned more about it, I realized it's a fascinating business. It's filled with incredible people. Um, had the opportunity to form relationships and friendships with people such as yourself that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And at the same time, I saw a business that was, or our business, but also the industry, that was ripe for new ideas and really needed to evolve. The industry had a very, uh, at least in Northern California, a negative connotation. But don't the you think that's scrap. true, though, for, well, scrap, but it's interesting because we'll get into legislation and, and regulatory burn on our industry because you, you're on the forefront of fighting those battles all the time, especially up here in the Bay Area. Everybody wants to be green. Everybody wants to recycle. Yet it's our facilities that are always seem to be the target. And you were one of the first people to ever run a billboard ad here in, in the Bay Area. Again, Back to image, you're changing the image. What, tell us some of the ideas that you implemented and that, that you've seen actually work where people have actually told you, you know, it's great what you're doing. Yeah, I think the image aspect of our business was to educate the public on what we're actually doing. So we really tried to highlight all of the factors that we thought made CAST a really interesting business. And as all of the people in the industry know, Recycling aluminum saves 90 plus percent of the energy that you would have used from going from bauxite ore to final product. But the things that we do here at CAS that are really different is we've taken it a step further and we're kind of like the organic weirdo hippies in Northern California where we're making aluminum without chlorine. So we're a chlorine free operation. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Chlorine free. Look, I don't know anything about aluminum making aluminum. I see it on t-shirts now that you have put out. You're 100% chlorine-free aluminum. Great, I have chlorine in my pool. Yeah. Why is that important? And why is that now setting you apart from other aluminum ingot makers? Well, just like my swimming pool that is salt water instead of chlorine, yeah, my like aluminum chlorine. is also chlorine-free. And there's a reason because chlorine is a nasty gas. And if we think about how chlorine was used in war, we can also think about what a tank of chlorine can do in a half mile radius of that location. 
like a lot of industrial facilities, were up against encroaching residential. And furthermore, we have all of our staff here that we actually care about the people that work here. And chlorine is nasty. And I understand why other people use it in the industry, because frankly speaking, it's easier. How's it used? You use it chlorine and you inject it into the aluminum to help clean out impurities. So you can buy a lower grade metal or you can take a metal and reduce mag content, etc. So it's a way to help clean the aluminum. However, what we do is we use better aluminums in the first place. And then we go through a process with an external filtration and also with a magnet. We were the first ones in the United States to use an external magnet to move molten metal. It's a company called ZMag. Alcoa and everybody else that's a major producer now uses those. But we were the test company for that in the United States. But the whole point goes back to what kind of company do we want to be? And we wanted to create the safest, most efficient work environment that we could that would allow us to be the company that we wanted to be. And part of that is not using chlorine. And, you know, like you see the offices, we wanted to give people an environment to work in that we felt was inspiring and that set a standard that let them know what we expected from them when they're dealing with our clients. So maybe Gucci needs to be making uniforms. <laughs> Steel toe boots. What do you think? I, I think it'd be interesting. I don't know. Well, you I, would be the first. Why don't you like you make a fashion statement, huh? Right. What the heck? You are changing the industry. You're changing the Im image. So, okay, let's talk about your chlorine-free aluminum ingot now. People or manufacturers who are buying that, do they know that? Some of them do, and some of them are still learning about it. We have clients that that's really important. And we have other clients that don't really understand the value. My personal opinion is this is where the industry will go. There are going to be clients that really care about the entire life cycle of products. And it's kind of like the electrification of vehicles in our market. You know, combustion engines, that's the past. Electric motors. Producing aluminum with chlorine and toxic gases. That is the path. Okay, so you're going to be out on, you're on the forefront of this. How are you getting your message out there? Because I think, to me, you know, you see Coca-Cola and these bottling companies, they're using, our plastic bottles are made from 98%, whatever, recycled product. But it's, it's the way they're doing it. So I'm waiting now for somebody to say, our aluminum in our product is chlor made with chlor chlorine-free. So we've started to include that in all of our documentation, all of our branding here at the company on all of our equipment, and we're preparing to launch a social media program that we think is going to drive awareness in the larger uh, social market. Well, I think that's great. I think that really that's going to be important for the marketplace, and I hope you get your word out there and, and it helps you. grow your business, and yeah. then that, that becomes another challenge. You get it out there, you start growing your business, and you're up here where the land is ridiculously expensive. How do you expand there? So are you ready to expand if you do get out there? you got new customers who want to buy Cass's aluminum, and, and now what? Now what do you do? We are 100%. We're really well positioned to expand, and we're actually in the process of building a new facility, which we're going through entitlements right now. 
And once the entitlement's clear, we'll be building a new ground-up facility here at the foot of the Bay Bridge. So for the years that I've known you, you've kind of flown underneath the radar. Yeah. Right? Is that, was, would that be accurate? 100%. Now we're kind of having to get you out of this comfort zone, get you out of your foxhole and make the charge. You know, I, I kind of laugh at you in some respect because here you are trying to hide, but you can't turn on a Warriors game without watching you high-fiving Steph Curry running down the court. <laughs> Come on, you're already out there. I know. Where's your cash shirt on the floor? It's, I don't know. So Where's 100% chlorine-free aluminum on the floor? Look, your son got abused on Twitter for wearing some stupid headband one day. I know. Now, I don't know what the hell. He should have had on a cast. Yeah, he should have on a cast. Chlorine-free aluminum. But you're there. Yes. Yeah, I know. I need to do a better job of that. It's an area. <laughs> it's certainly an area I can improve. So you got your seats for the new arena? We do. Awesome. Yeah, we're really excited. So do I, when I turn the TV on, am I still going to see you? Still going to see me. Uh, now, we may not see the Warriors doing as well as we've seen them do in the past five years. Oh, but, I don't give a crap about that. I just want to see Ed Kanger on the floor high-fiving Steph Curry. That's yeah. the greatest. Or Greg Popovich moving your arm out of the way that yeah. I got to witness firsthand. <laughs> yeah, when Greg, when Pop tells you to move, you move. How <laughs> about this last year? We were on the floor, and the, the player from the Toronto Raptors I believe it was. You went to reach for the ball going out of bounds. He grabbed it, slapped it, and looked you in the face like you were some villain or something. Yeah, I know. That was classic. I was actually trying to protect one of my seat neighbors, <laughs> who's an older woman, and I thought the ball was going to hit her in the, in the face. So. Yeah, well, you know, hey, basketball, watch out for the ball. You know, yeah. Baseball, watch out. Keep your eye on the ball, they always say. True story. So what... Back to Cass and, and to all the changes that I personally have seen um, and all the things you're doing in this, this planned move in a few years, you know, the course zoning and all that thing's going to take more time than it should. Especially How many years is it going to take? The best scenario would be two years. Worst case scenario right now looks like five years. Hey, you want to know how long it took me to get my permit to do my 70,000 square foot factory in Georgia? Yeah, how long? Well, Jimbo Boykin was sitting in front of me, and he says to me like this. He says, Mr. John, you give me the order today, and I'll be pouring on Mon I'll be foreman on Monday. I went, excuse me? How do you get a permit? He goes, he looked at me like, permit? I already got it. All I got to do is tell them I'm building, and they're giving it to me. Kind of different, huh? Yeah, it's a little different in California, and specifically northern California. It's really different. California, we both look. We both have our headquarters here. I, you know, I have my factory in Georgia where we build our two Ram Baylors. Full disclosure, Cass is a customer of Sierra. You have uh, a couple of our red machines and a couple of our green machines. It's a 900 ton shear, 750 ton shear for, for disclosure. You know, I did a podcast with a customer who I sell paper to, owns no, no Sierra equipment. But I lost my train of thought and I have my notes in front of me. Maybe I need your blue blue cup coffee or what blue bottle coffee. That's what I need over here. There you go. That's good coffee, by the way. It is good. It's I like that coffee. coffee. Okay. Regulation. You have fought and you have worked hard when you were president of the California chapter for ISRI in your local community. We're fighting regulation that could kill us. Tell us something that could wipe out, tell, tell us about the regulation coming down the pipe that could really wipe out every recycler in the state, every steel manufacturer in the state, 
every uh, uh, you know anybody who handles new steel, which all everybody needs for construction. Tell us about that. So I also just came up being president of California Metals Coalition. I still serve on the board, and I still serve on the board for Israel's West Coast chapter. In those roles, I was educated on how the air districts work in California. They are aggressively regulating our industry and moving towards more stringent standards. The most alarming of all of them is the nanogram standard, which for those- What is a nanogram? A nanogram is one in a billion. That's a B, one in a billion. So they wanna regulate our industry for particulate matter down to one in a billion. The technology that is used to measure that has an error rate that would exceed the level that they're trying to measure. So from that perspective alone, I don't understand how we can be regulated on that. But we've raised almost a million dollars in the past two years to hire experts and to go out and to put a lot of pressure back on the regulatory community to use real science based on real facts and get away from emotions and political agendas. So you look, you're up here in the Bay Area, which is a notorious Democratic um, area, and you go in there and you and you talk to them about business, okay? Because you know this is not business friendly. What is the reaction? Because you're out there, you talk to these the sure. state assembly people, state senators, um, all the time. What's their reception to you when you walk in and you start talking to them? Are they like get out of here or no. are they listening? Yeah, they listen. I think that all of us in the industry have an obligation to know our assembly member, know our senator, know our congressman, which I do. And they've all been to our facility and they've toured our facility. They understand the diversity of our workforce, the impact of our business, and also that we're working at a very high standard. And so once you can educate them on the type of entity, business that you are or your culture, then you get more support. It doesn't mean that they're going to agree with you on everything, but you have a much better chance of getting some rational approach to decision making. Well, you know, I think common sense eventually will play out and that they'll understand that you can't shut down the entire recycling industry that handles any form of metals in the recycling stream because of dust that might come up. Look, you know, I always said, our facilities, we are the original environmentalists. We are the stewards of the land. Now, some of us, some players have played, haven't played so well, but there's so much regulation in place now that, you know, walking your yard today, it's spotless. You know, you have a culture here at CAS. You know, I, I, I saw a one and a half year old material handler that doesn't have a scratch on it. You know, you have the culture in place. Now, that's in, in its own right, its own battle. I, where did the, how, how's that journey coming along? That journey came about by wanting to be more efficient with our resources and run a safer operation. And what we realized through bad experiences is that when you don't have that culture and you don't require accountability within the staff after you educate them why it's important, you make mistakes that A, you can't, would regret, or B, you can't afford. And three years ago, we had over a million dollars worth of operator damage. 
Uh, last year, we were able to keep it under 150,000, and we're on trend to be under 100,000 this year. Well, congratulations. I, 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 look, we Thank have you. a scrap facility too, yeah. and I know what it is, operator damage, because yeah. some people don't care, and, and reducing that cost makes us keep our doors open. I mean, my God, we can't afford it. Look, commodity markets aren't great right now. Everybody no. knows this. Definitely. And you know, the people who handle, you know, I was uh, talking with Jason Young from the Allen Company yesterday, talking about the blue bin, because you know, he does a whole recycling program for the blue bins. And communities who, that he does it for, these cities and counties and what have you, they're used to getting money back. Yeah. But the commodity values, some has an absolute zero value. So the only way we're gonna keep our doors open is by reducing the expenses that we just can't afford because it sure costs enough to open the doors as it is in California, let alone have our own people make these mistakes. And I wish you the best of luck on that journey. I mean, I think it's every day we go into our yards. It's, oh my God, how are we gonna, how are we gonna do better? How are we gonna, you know, that's why one of our slogans at Sierra is we do what you do, you know, our equipment business, but. We do what you do because we own and operate a scrapyard and we just launched our 60th anniversary um, uh, marketing campaign. So hopefully you get to look at it. Uh, it's pretty cool. But, you know, again, that, that's part of what we do. This is so as an industry a whole, from the national to the state level, how can we move? How can we create the what, what needs to what needs to change with everybody? Because, you know, one cast, one Sierra. We can't do it alone. No. Uh, we need to get the good actors to segregate themselves from the rogue actors. We need to be more disciplined as an industry about doing the right thing proactively. It's good business in the long run, but you know you gotta protect your employees. You gotta enforce lockout, tagout. You gotta use high visibility. You've got to have good practice and not take shortcuts. You've got to do preventive maintenance so that people are using equipment that is going to be able to do the job, but it's also not going to potentially harm someone. And then probably the sacred cow that nobody else will like is, I think you got to change the word scrap. I think it's not a good way to describe our industry anymore. And the reason I don't use it is because I think we're all manufacturers. We're in the recycling industry and we're taking products that are obsolete products from society and we're turning them back into the first steps of manufacturing. To the virgin products that they got to use. That's right. Yeah, instead of using iron ore, scrap metal now is the, the virgin material, if you will, that the new cores, old electric art furnaces are using. And for, for that matter, you're, you're vertically integrated here with your furnaces. You're taking aluminum scrap and you're turning it into aluminum ingot and manufacturing process that will get made into, tell us the products, thinking of which, aluminum ingot. The people you sell, what kind of products are they making with your ingot? What, what do we use every day in our lives that actually might be coming from your ingot? Everything, we have clients that make ice cream scoops out of the aluminum that we make. We have a client, it's a very famous client, that uh, makes trucks for skateboards. Uh, we have clients that make automotive parts, Edelbrock. We have other clients that make interesting technologies. Um, we work with aerospace, semiconductor, and non-critical components. Uh, a lot of different stuff. What's your favorite product? When you see it, you, you kind of pump your chest. That's my aluminum in it. Come on, which one? 
Probably as a young man, I always wanted to be a skateboard guy and I just never became that. So when I see somebody riding on independent trucks, I think that's really something special. That's cool. You know, we know somebody who knows somebody in the skateboard business. His name's Darren Doan. You know that guy? I, I, I have met him. Famous filmmaker. Yeah. Video art filmmaker. Film master. <laughs> the film master. FM. You know, I, I, I think, Edward, you know, you are, you know, by the way, I tried to get you to run for officer of ISRI, which I was the chairman of. Yes. And you turned it down because you're busy. But I got to tell you, our industry needs you to lead. We need you as an officer. And I'm hoping someday in the near future, within the next couple of years, that you have that opportunity because your leadership, it, it's critical. And it's on a world stage. I mean, we're fighting from federal EPA, federal OSHA, trade, you know, the, all the DOT and you name it. Your leadership, you know, I've worked side by side with you. Uh, and you, you have an understanding of the industry. You have an understanding of regulation. You have an understanding of what needs to change. And it's my hope that you, you get involved and become an officer. Besides, it's a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> well, you got to convince this young lad over here and his brother and sister to uh, come run the company, and then I'll have time to do it. You know what's funny, though? It reminded me of the story when we, you and I really first met. We were customers. And how we became friends, I threw your ass out of a meeting because I did not know, I, I knew Ed Kanger, but I didn't see it. So I come over, excuse me, you have to leave this meeting. You look at me and John, it's Ed from Cass. And I went, that took me about three, four hours to get over. <laughs> the best part was it was a, at a board meeting and they went to a private board members only. And John was literally at the other end of the room and there's probably about 30 people behind between us and I can see him looking at me and I'm sitting there and I'm like no. and just preparing for the meeting and he made a point of walking all the way around to come over and tell me that it was board members only yeah, you know I think that. <laughs> what can I say <sighs> we've traveled a lot in this world Tell us about the abuse you got when you told me you were checking a bag for a three-day trip to D.C. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's part of coming from the fashion world. You've got to be able to change. Yeah, I get this call from you, Ed. Yeah, Johnny, what time are you going to be in D.C.? We, we might be able to catch a car. I go, yeah, I arrive at 545, and I'll go straight to the curb. He goes, well, i got to pick my bag up from baggage claim. I'm like, you checked a bag for three days? Yeah. And then Doug Kramer began to abuse you. Because I, I called Doug immediately. Hey, this guy checked the bag. Do you check a bag anymore for a three-day trip? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Depends on where I'm going and what I'm doing. Okay. To be honest. Well, I'm, are, you, are you checking a bag for D.C.? Well, you're going to be gone yeah. for over a week. I get that. But I'm not checking a DC, bag. D.C., then New York. So then yeah. to New York. Tell us the story. I love this story. Because, see, one of our friends, you know, the beauty of our industry and what we've done... We've traveled to different trade associations and we go to the BIR, the Bureau of International Recyclers. And you were in Hong Kong with George Adams, who's uh, president and CEO of SA Recycling, a monster outfit, and George is a good friend. But people didn't know who you were because you kind of just heard. So you, you, you came up with this great story and I want you to share the story because I love this story. So this was an exclusive event for uh, Sims and 
George was attending uh, with Joni, and they invited me to attend because we were in Hong Kong and I was traveling by myself. And so we show up at this event, and you know there was about 150 people there, maybe more. And we're at the bar, and at some point, George is in another conversation, and Joni introduces me to this lovely young lady, and we're talking for a minute. And she goes, "So what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I drive for George and Joni." <laughs> and she's like, "What do you mean? I'm all the, their personal chauffeur." Yeah, well, people like to know you're always in the most elegant suit and tie. I mean, you're always looking like a million bucks. <laughs> they had to look at you like. Bleh. <laughs> yeah, so she she was a little surprised, and then uh, she looked at your shoes or something. Yeah, well, the best part is I was staying. I was talking to Joni about my day, and I had swam laps before I came over to the party. And I was explaining I was staying at the Four Seasons. They have a pool that overlooks the Hong Kong Harbor, so I'm swimming laps in this infinity pool, and it's just spectacular. And so I was explaining that to Joni. And she's all, so the young lady, she goes, so you drive for George and Joni and you're staying at the Four Seasons? I'm like, oh yeah, they're really, really incredible people, very generous. And uh, then she looks down at my shoes and I was like shocked. I was wearing boots and she recognized the brand. And she goes, are you wearing Dior boots? And I'm all, yeah. And she's all, those are like really expensive. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, can you believe it? George and Joni bought me these today as a gift for being such a good driver for them. So it was just kind of like this running joke. And she absolutely bought the entire story. At some point, she believes that I actually work for George and Johnny. Did you tell her you were carrying a forty-five in your back? No, I did not tell her that. Well, one thing I know about you and your, your, your clothing things, don't go to no booze and drink sake and go shopping with you afterwards because that was the most expensive shopping I ever. We go to no booze, we're having a great dinner. And Edward's going, we got to go to Ferragamo's. I would never buy myself a pair of Ferragamo's. Never in my life did I ever think I would do it. And there I was buying not one pair, two pairs. Thanks, Ed. You're welcome. And my, mom, my wife keeps going, aren't we going to Nobu with Ed? Aren't we going to Nobu? Because she's thinking she's going to get that shopping splitter, <laughs> you know. No. That was a very expensive... Uh, uh, but you love those shoes now, right? Yeah, I love the shoes, but that was one expensive dinner. I don't really... <laughs> Speaking of expensive dinners. We eat a lot of good food. Mm-hmm. We won't name names here. <laughs> or price. But the dinner we had at Nobu in Washington, D.C., where your son and my son decided they're going to get in a sushi eating contest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was... And so there's your son, and then there's my daughter, and then, um, and then you know, George was there, and another friend of ours, and so the bill came around. We all threw our credit cards out there, but the poor guy, he's just one guy. He picks up the bill, uh, the bill and he goes, just white. <laughs> it was a $4,000 dinner bill. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of the kid who eats a lot of sushi, I, I want to take this moment, and I want to bring your son in or sit right over here to the left hand of you and I want Louie Kangeter get a chair there Lou what are you doing so let's scoot the microphone over to your son the famous Louie Kangeter see you're the one who told your dad you have to do a podcast and now you're on it. How yeah, you feeling? No, I'm on the podcast. So uh, are you, are you nervous well. now? Are you like scared to death? No. No? You're I good? Handle. 
right, so how you like working for dad? That's actually pretty good. Yeah? I hear your little brother works here too. Yeah. So who's in charge, you or your little brother? Neither of us. No. <laughs> can you work with him? Um, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. We're getting better. It's sometimes when we work together, it gets back to a little bit more of the older brother, younger brother. But sometimes when we work together, it's, it's like when we get really involved in what we're doing and we don't think about, you know, who's who. We're just focused on getting stuff done. That's when we work well. How many years apart are you and Max? Oh, we're what? Probably six. I think six years apart. Yeah. How old are you? Twenty. Yeah. yeah. Nineteen. Max is what? Fourteen. Fourteen. You guys yeah. are five years. Yeah. Okay, so you are the same age difference as my brother Philip and I. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we've been partners from the get-go. So if you ever take over this business, I know your little brother loves this business. Yeah. You think you're gonna be able to work with them, huh? Yeah. You guys gonna be able to put your ego aside? Yeah. Because it's it's not easy. No, I don't think it would be easy. But All right. So let me ask you this. Okay. So you'll hear your dad. You see what your dad is doing, and of course your grandfather. You know, Sorry. one of the most innovative, really, truly, crazy, but one of the most innovative, truly one of the most innovative individuals ever in this industry. Right. Undoubtedly. What do you see the future of Cass is? I see the scrap industry, the recycling industry changing. See, you used already the dirty word, yeah, scrap. Dirty see, word. you didn't even listen to what your dad had I to used say. I the dirty word. But the thing is, I see the industry going digital more and more. And I think that that's something that the recycling industry hasn't done as much as a lot of other industries have in the past. I think over the last 10 to 15 years, a lot of businesses have realized that the way to move forward isn't the traditional business method, which is, you know, hire another employee or, you know, fill, fill up the gap with more people to do the job. It's find a more efficient way to do the job. And it's find a process that allows you to learn from what you're doing. Okay, I know you're a pretty smart kid. You're good friends with my daughter, Giovanna, and my son, Giancarlo. Why not go to law school first instead of coming back? Why not become an attorney? Because I'm going to tell you, the amount of money the company spends on attorney fees yeah. each year. Sierra does. That's why I want Giovanna to be an attorney. Why not go to law school? What's the rush? So, I hate reading case law. That's the reason. Well, I, I hate done, going to work every day. I've done mock trial for um, almost six years at this point. Yeah, so? And I love getting in front of people and speaking. Okay. I love being a lawyer. And I love uh, being a witness on the stand. But if there's one thing that makes me hate it, it's reading case law. And every single person that I've talked to who's gone through law school says if you want to be successful in law school, you got to like reading case law. That's all. You only got to change the like. You know, you didn't like sushi. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like sushi the first time you ate it. Yeah, I'll guarantee. I've always liked sushi. Oh, come didn't on like now. Wasabi. I didn't like wasabi. Well, you didn't like whiskey the first time you drank it. No, that's true. Okay, so there it is. I think you need to go to law school. Don't don't rush. I mean, look, there's plenty of days to work. You know, I when I graduated from USC in 1984, I went on a two week vacation, and I've been working for 30 what 35 years. You know, trust me, son. <laughs> there's time. There's plenty. Of, your dad's not an old guy. How old are you, Edward? Going to turn 15 this year. Okay, my dad was 40 years older than me. So when I graduated from USC and I was 22, my dad was already 
62 years old. You know, when you yeah. graduate from Emory in two years, your dad's only going to be 51, 52. So what's three years of law school? He'll be 55. He's got a lot left in the tank. And he's going to be able to teach you a lot. So, uh, it's, you know, my two cents. Well, left in the battery. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But not, yeah. We don't use gasoline anymore when we refer to Edward and his driving habits. We use electrical. Electricity. Electricity. A lot of charge left. You know what's going to be funny is California with its energy problem. How are you going to plug in your electric car when we don't even have power in this state? Solar. Ah, oh, the famous solar. Can you charge your car on solar? You can charge your car with solar if you have a way to store the energy. So that's where storage capacity becomes a big deal. All right, father to son. Tell him something he needs to know going forward that I think some of our listeners, you know, parents, and you know what, we're going to get a lot of people listening to this podcast who are your age, uh, Lou, and who, who have parents who want to talk to them. Tell us something that he needs to know going forward that's going to really help change the way his outlook is going forward in life. Sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do, like read case law. <laughs> and separately, more importantly, you have to take the long-term perspective and do the right thing, especially if you're running a business that you want to be successful. A lot of people take shortcuts and they're not willing. Everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to make a lot of money, but most people don't want to do the work, and most people will not make the sacrifices or the commitment required. And so, you have to focus, and most importantly, you got to work in a field that you're passionate about. I I, I agree. I, I think if if you don't like case law, but that's only a, a a a step to the law degree where real law is. Um, but if you hate it. If you hate scrap, you don't want to work here. You hate recycling, you don't want to work in it. You hate auto parts, you don't want to work in it. You hate compute, whatever it is. If you don't like it, don't go there because that's that's a miserable existence. And you know what? For me, I'll be honest with you, the new marketing that we're doing at Sierra has energized me. I, I, get, I am pumped up to come to work every day because we're creating and it's a lot of fun. You like what we're doing, don't you? Yeah. Okay, you millennials. I mean, my daughter and you, you talk about it. Yeah, I've actually been doing a little bit of a guerrilla marketing strategy here. Um, before we did this podcast, when I started working here, I started doing daily, what I call them, scrap snaps. So I, when I'm working in the yard, whenever I'm in the yard, I try to find at least one thing a day that I think is cool, or is just a cool photo or... Um, you know, a good symbol of what we're doing here. And I just take a picture of it, caption it, scrap snap, and put it on my Snapchat. Story. I like that. Yeah. All right, wait, last thing before we finish this thing. What was that stupid headband you were wearing at the Warriors game? And how many people attacked you on Twitter? What, right. was, it, what was it trending? What was so, it? So it was a Supreme headband, which is a bright red sweatband. Think like 80s sweatband right. you know, on a full-on jogging suit. I got the sweat the sweatband on my head, bright red says white supreme on top, and um, I don't even know. It was it was I lost count. There was a Reddit so there was a Reddit thread that had about five thousand people commenting on it about it. There was a Twitter thread that had I think 
900 to 1,000 people talking about it. And then there is a bunch of Instagram comments with a bunch of likes on them on ESPN's and SportsCenter's um, Instagram. And you missed the golden opportunity. I am the son of the guy who makes aluminum without chlorine. Yeah. See, you missed it. Yeah, you were trending on Twitter and you missed it. I don't fit that all on the headband, but we'll see. Maybe we'll do some font magic. <laughs> well, fantastic. Listen, Edward, my friend, my brother, thank you for being there. Lou, thanks for being a good sport. Thanks for having me. And thanks for talking your dad into saying, hey, he's got to do this podcast. Yeah, I've had a ball with you guys go. today. Thank you so much. Awesome. And that thanks, is it Johnny. for this episode. Wait, you want to say something? I said thanks, Johnny. All right, well, that's, this is it for this episode of Pile of Scrap.